1: that's right everybody we're back and this is episode 113 scope creep i'm matt that's mike and this week we'll be discussing what scope creep is how it affects developers and what it does to projects and then in the web news we'll be talking about minimalist programming setups now if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show you can go and check us out on that patreon leave a review or rating on your podcast app join us on our discord server or share this with your friends now it's time for our weekly pain points so mike please take it away
2: All right. Uh, So this week's weekly pain point is self doubt slash imposter syndrome. So I've been having a little bit of a bout with that over the last few days, or maybe the last week. Uh, I've just been doing like, I've been doing what I feel are tasks that I should be doing faster, and they're taking longer. I think that's the best way to describe it. I can't really go into the specifics because it's on D8, but uh, it's just a, like a lot of programming tasks that I w- I was intending to do over a couple of days that have taken me like a week and a half, and I don't even know how important they are. I don't know if I'm being like, it's not that I'm not being appreciated uh, as well. Not not that I expect that or anything like that. It's just I feel like I'm not. I feel like my input to the team hasn't been up to my own standards, and I and that's kind of been wearing on me. So I've had like low productivity days where I just don't feel like doing anything. I've had days where I just run into walls and get pissed off at myself. Um, It's kind of coming, I'm kind of coming out of it actually as of today. Today was a really good productive day. Had a good couple meetings, had a good programming session, deep work session. Uh, So that was a good good sign because the last couple weeks have been like a slog in terms of meetings and programming sessions. Today was a little bit better. So I'm coming out of it. Everyone kind of gets into these phases. So I'm not too worried, but Uh, That's my pain point. What about you, Matt?
1: Uh, So mine is too many emails, but also just generally too much going on. I mean, we've had this pain point over and over and over again like, you know, whatever you can, I don't know what the metaphor would be for it, but uh, basically I'm just getting swamped, like a lot of random emails. Like I'm not a person that gets too many emails. I mostly get like sort of phone calls and one or two emails, but I'm just getting pounded by emails. And with that, of course, a bunch of tasks. And like, if you notice, like our social media was sort of not taking off, but it was sort of being... I want to say renovated or something, but it was sort of being used more, I guess is the way to say it uh, used more and like more frequently. And then it just like completely dropped off over the last week or two. And like, I like Mike and I had a discussion before the show that like, I just don't know what to do. Like I'm getting hammered by client work. Uh, like luckily we're still able to do the, uh, the, the show here. Uh, but like, we haven't been able to stream and whatever. And like, I mean, it's not like I'm complaining, like we have a jobs, whatever It's a difficult time, but it's just, it just sucks that like I've had to been, I have to have been absent uh, and there's a lot more coming down the pipe uh, relatively I finished quite a bit this week um, quite a bit this week that I thought was gonna take a week so not not to not to like up, or like overshadow Mike's thing where he took longer and I took shorter, but um, it was just, just some web flow stuff that I thought would take me longer to learn, but I guess I'm so used to web flow that I just kind of ripped through it for the most part. So um, I, that that's basically where I'm sitting and to be totally blunt, I mean, not to make this long winded, but to be totally blunt, I might start just chipping away off stream on the hat website Cause that is something that we just definitely need out at this point uh, for the show notes and such like that. So I might just start chipping away like whenever I'm in between calls and stuff. Cause there are times where I'll just be like, oh, I have to wait to see if this works, and then I'm just like sort of waiting for ten minutes, thirty minutes, fifteen minutes, whatever it is. So uh, that that might be what I'm doing. Uh, doing back, we've been doing a lot of um, like uh, sort of server admin stuff, WordPress updates and that type of thing. So when you click backup, like I'm not gonna edit the site while it's packing up. That'd be that'd be stupid. So. Stuff like that. Uh, so when I'm waiting for that, maybe I'll work a little bit on the hat site. But we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And hopefully I'll be back on social. But, like, good lord, it's been crazy. Um, but this episode, Scope Creep. So uh, I wrote this earlier today. And I was telling Mike and I completely forgot that I wrote it. So uh, that's how much we've been task switching. I literally forgot that I wrote this. And it's massive. Like, it's pretty big. Um, I'll have to do my own horn here, but it's a few pages. So uh, <laughs> a few... <laughs> A few segments here. Um, first segment is going to be uh, what is scope creep and how does it happen? Uh, second one is going to be the effects of scope creep. And the third one is going to be uh, preventing scope creep with a couple of subsections in there. So uh, the first one here is like just straight up. Like what is scope creep and how does it happen? So scope creep, uh, scope creep is... Um, is when a project's overall scope starts to become more than was originally planned or agreed to. And it's and it's very common on projects. You know, it's not just agencies. It's agencies that do work for clients. It's freelancers as well. Uh, it's uh, personal projects as well. So like the freelancers and agencies are like people that obviously will work for clients. And they and like the client is kind of the one. And I'll get into that in a sec. But the client's kind of the one that does the scope creep. And then there's a bunch of reasons why even if you're working on a personal project, that scope creep can happen as well. So to get into the nitty gritty agencies, uh, and freelancers, you know, scope creep will typically come from the client, like I just said, where the client asked for a project that let's just, for example, purpose say it had a hundred tasks in there. So you've, you've met with the client, you get the scope, you've, you write down everything they need, what stack they're using, you know, God knows what else. And then, you, you you boil it down to 100 tasks, and then that slowly creep, 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 creeps up to 120 plus tasks. That's scope creep is when things are like, hey, can you just add this to the navbar? Hey, can you just add this other thing? Hey, can you just do this? Can you add this email? Can you do this? like? And then it just like up, 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 up. It starts going. Now – to be clear, it's very it's very common for clients to see features on their competitors' websites or to learn about them while ta- while talking to their friends, right? Who are generally in the same industry. So we've actually had a, a website which I'm you know not going to name, but we've had a website recently where um, when we were talking to them, they asked for like a couple of features that I was just like, okay, can you like they asked for features by name, and. And I'm not going to say it because you'll be able to identify who it is, but they asked for features by name. And I was like, okay, can you explain what those are? And they'll be like, and the answer I got was, no, these are industry standard. Just do them. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I looked them up and they were like some stuff that they, you know, it exists, but like they didn't need them at all. And then when I, when I actually implemented one of them and showed them. Cause I had my suspicions. I was like, I don't really think they want this. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do the 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 shorter, more expedient one of these features, and then show them it. And when I showed them it, they were like, What is this? Like, what's this for? (laughs) I was like, This is I. This is exactly what you asked for. And so that kind of like made the second one go by the wayside. But that that's just kind of kind of how I handled it. Um, those type of things. So that little situation I just said in itself isn't scope creep. Cause we are still kind of talking to that client in the beginning, but it is an example of what could be scope creep. If you had already agreed, they go and talk to their buddies or whoever that have websites. And they're like, Hey, have you heard of like, have you heard of like the latest like form technology? Like you need auto filling forms or some, some crap. And then now like they come to you and be like, I need auto filling forms. You're like, what is that? Well, auto filling forms, like, come on. So just stuff like that. Uh, sometimes clients add features, right, that they, they consider quote-unquote standard on websites. And, you know, they don't realize at all how much work they might be adding on to developers. So there's, like, commonly, or very, very common that clients will, let's say, uh, they ask you for a basic five-page five, uh, business card website. And they just assume that that includes a full event system. Like, they, they just assume that. They don't they don't mention it. They just say, I need a five thing. I need, I need this, 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 this. I need these pages. I need this here. I need this here. I need this here. And then they'll be like, hey, like, why isn't there an event system where people can make appointments? And you're like, well, <laughs> that's a big feature. And they're like, well, it's standard. Like, I see it on other doctor's websites or whatever. Like, why isn't it there? And it's like, well, here we go. Like, a whole other thing, right? A whole other thing to deal with. So that's a big that's a big part of it too like they just don't know and they just assume that some stuff is standard and that's why those original scope meetings which mike and i have talked to to death which i'm not going to bring up very much but or not bring up much in depth but those original scope meetings those original meetings with clients that where you start brainstorming ideas those are really critical to try to get into their brain effectively and extract that stuff so they know so they actually like or so that you know rather what they want Um, now for personal projects, so changing gears a bit for personal projects, scope creep is typically due to misunderstood technical requirements or the passion for the project leads to more and more and more features over time. So if you're working on a project for yourself, right, it's very easy to get caught up in what you're building without realizing exactly how much work you're adding for yourself because you're invested in the project, right? Like like something you really want to do. You might feel as though you'll be fine adding a feature and then another feature, And then another one, right? And before long, your MVP, your minimum viable product, becomes a bloated mess of features that will take you way too long to ship. And this can happen easily because you might be like, well, you know, it's annoying to add a clock and it like doesn't necessarily need to be in the MVP, but I really want there to be a clock. I think it's going to really add to the look. I'll add it to the MVP because you personally are invested in it, right? Um, So personal projects are often done without the required expertise as well, right? This is another thing. So, you know, since they aren't being done for a client, they're not kind of, you know, up in front of anybody, you're not like doing check-ins with people, and they're not going to be making fun of you for not knowing what you're doing or something like that, you know, it's very common for you to be okay with exploring new skills that you haven't touched before, right? And this can easily lead to scope creep, as you may not fully understand what a certain task entails, you know, and and, and that might end up you know, spiraling into like 10 tasks or more, you know, you were like, Oh, I just need to update the database. But you didn't know that you had to like back it up, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then update it, right. So stuff like that. So that's where that that sort of scope creep can come in. Now, this is on top of the fact that you don't have the expertise yet, like I said, so there's a bunch of learning involved, there's a bunch of reading. And if you have any problems, troubleshooting isn't going to be second nature to you, you're gonna have to learn also how to troubleshoot that thing, because you just don't you don't have the expertise yet. Now, I I do want to point out that personal projects are a great place to learn this type of stuff. Like I don't want to step on anyone's toes and say like, you know, don't learn in personal, don't learn in client projects. Absolutely. If you want to do a personal project and you don't know anything of like, you don't even know HTML, you're at that point, And you, you solely just want to, you solely just want to like jump in and learn everything. Absolutely. But if you're doing a personal project that you're doing either a challenge for some reason, or if you're like a seasoned dev and you, really want to get this done in two weeks because let's say that personal project is actually something that makes you a fair bit of your income, you know, keep in mind that scope creep is still a thing. Just because you're not working for a client, scope creep is still a thing. But if you're a person that's just doing it solely for learning, then I mean, let the scope creep around creep like crazy because you're effectively just going to learn more and more and more and more, right? Just within reason, don't go nuts and try to build like the best calculator in the world or some crazy thing. right? Um, so then we'll move on. Unless Mike has anything to add there, we'll move on to segment number two here.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, scope Creep is a big topic for me as well. And it's a constant. I feel like it's a constant in all the projects that I've ever worked in. Now, Matt will get into it more more on how to alleviate it and stuff like that. But I feel like it's always going to be there no matter what because people forget. That's the, that's the thing that it's really tough to... Um, combat like even if you do extract all the information and stuff people will forget and you yourself might bring up a scope creep issue as well like you could be working on a client project and have it all outlined have all the requirements done and then as you're doing it you're like what really like what really would benefit like this client would really benefit from this and you yourself bring in a feature that you didn't expect to bring in and stuff like that. Like that, that's a constant. I don't think it's a, there's a way of completely eliminating scope creep, but I think the the big thing is, is trying to make it as minimal and try to make it the effects of it as minimal to you as possible while providing the best experience for your client, because it affects both you and your client in different ways. And Matt will get into that as well. But, uh, it's just like, it could be a negative, but if there's a possibility to turn it into a little bit of a positive, then try to do that way.
1: You know, that's a really good point is we use these keywords, these keywords, these trendy words, whatever you want to call them, a lot. And I think that, like, by you constantly reading, rereading, seeing the same, you know, scope creep and productivity is even like a a keyword now and stuff like that. By you constantly reiterating these terms inside of your head, it's very easy to realize that you – or it's very easy, rather, to become obsessed with them. It's very easy to – only focus on them and if you if you're like what you're saying Mike is if you focus solely on the fact that scope might be creeping up you're gonna be spending literally you're gonna be spending time dealing with scope creep while it like might be happening to a minor degree like I'll I'll give an example so I recently built out uh, a project and I did like some animations on it and it was a fairly intense like animation transitions like a lot of stuff was going on on this page and I had to actually there was a point in which I said okay the way I've done it now I can't I can't fix this unless I redo all the animations because then I can't trigger them in a certain way. Changing details just for security purpose. But the point was is I took the fact that I that the uh, animations were fresh in my brain, fresh in my head, and I just completely redid it. And I redid it in, you know, not that long, actually, like in the grand scheme. It wasn't that long a time. But the point is is that product became way better. But if I had been so worried, like if I'd have been thinking about scope creep a bunch, and been obsessed with that term, I would have been like, man, like, you know, this is this is definitely scope creep. This is more than I expected. Like, I thought I was only going to do these animations once. And then you could if you're bringing in other ones, like, man, I'm going to be unproductive now, because I'm redoing the same thing. But that page is like at least 300% better. And the client doesn't know that there was scope creep and stuff like that. Right. And I did that to myself, they didn't ask for it. But it's something that needed to be done. It needed to be done because that page is a thousand times better than what it was in the alpha. And like, I had like basically like an alpha beta and then like I redid it and just like went crazy, but it it got better and better and better and better and better to the point where it's like way better. And now I'm much more familiar with animations and stuff like that than I was before, right? Like, even though that's something fresh in my brain, it might go away. That was scope creeper bought on myself. And I wasn't like obsessing over the fact that I was going to be unproductive and have scope creep happen to me. Um, Moving on to segment number two here then. So the effects of scope creep. So... Scope creep creep ultimately adds uh, development time, right, to your project, and that might also cause a lot of unneeded stress. So typically as scope increases, the deadline is not pushed at all or isn't pushed out proportional to the amount of scope that has increased at that time, right? And this can, you know, stress you and your team out and start, you know, causing the overall product to suffer as a result. So if, for example, the quote-unquote proper way to handle a particular feature is, I don't know. Setting some values to a database and then pulling that data into the UI, right? If you are, if you're running out of time, you might be more inclined to do a front end hack, right? By clumsily showing some static data instead of some dynamic data, right? We've all done something like this where somebody's complaining, "Hey, this is glitch. This is glitch. What's going on here? I can't get this to work." Blah 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 blah, right? And you might, you might just do that quick little hack, right? Well, you might want to do some of these features. "Quote unquote securely," right? So you don't want users to be able to get in here. I'm talking in, in web apps. I know I'm starting to get a little bit into the weeds here, but for the sake of example, so say for example you did that little hack, but somebody, somebody who you do not want touching this for whatever reason, is a little bit versed in JavaScript. They can go into their browser with the with the dev tools of their choice, depending on their browser, and they can you know manipulate your code. So now it makes it look like it's rendering effectively the wrong the wrong thing, right? So if you wanted that functionality to be quote unquote secure, the proper way to do it would be to do that database method, pull it in, blah, 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 right? And so you ultimately did a hack. Now it's not secure, right? It's not a, it's not the most secure it could be. It's not the quote unquote, the proper way to do it. And you, on top of all this, you'll have less time for testing, less time for polishing, and more time, you'll spend more time figuring out and implementing the quickest way to implement features. So what I mean by that is, when you, when you when you enter in a state of mind in which you're panicked and rushed, most of your time will be spent either panicking and rushing, but a lot of it will be spent trying to find the quickest, cheapest, and easiest method to implement features. So that front-end hack is the quickest and easiest way to do it. But technically, in this particular very ambiguous example, that's the improper way to do it, right? And you will not spend hardly any time testing, hardly any time polishing, and the overall product is going to suffer because you are solely focusing on basically alleviating that panic. You're trying to alleviate that rushing panic, that, rush, that rushed feeling. You're trying to alleviate that. And so all you do is you don't you don't want to hear, like if I go to Mike and say, Mike, what's the best way to log somebody in? And Mike's like, oh, you got to get this database, you got to do this and this and this. And then I look at the thing and I'm like, you know what, let's just do like with, with HD access and an HD password, let's just have them log in like via that method with a password. Now that's proper in some instances, but let's say for this one, it really kind of isn't and it's kind of a hack. Well, you might just do that, right? And now you're starting to like jank systems together. And this is why the overall product will suffer as a result, right? Because you're starting to cut corners. You're starting to not do things properly. You're starting to, you're starting to do things, even if you're doing it the proper way you might be doing it without testing it. And that's where the real suffering begins, right? Now, the value of the product itself may start to diminish as well, right? It's, and this is sort of from your perspective, and I'll get into it right now. So it's very valuable, okay? Straight up. It's very valuable to be invested in a project, whether it's because you believe in your client's vision or because it's your project to begin with, you know, having value in what you're working on makes a big difference. So when I say value, I'm not saying like the monetary value. I'm saying that you value what you're working on. You know, if you're really passionate about healthcare and you're making a healthcare app, then you're going to value that app you're building. If you're really passionate about model cars and you're building a model car, app, you're going to be passionate about that app to some degree, you're going to want it to look good, right? And you'll take pride in that work. And you'll and you will not want to have unpolished features. And you will not want to have things go untested. Now, if you're taking pride in what you're building, you know, then you'll also typically have to put like have some input rather excuse me on what the client is doing. So if they ask for something that their customers aren't going to like, like, you know, it's a bad UX idea. They say, Hey, can we have like a a clock that shows up and like, make it tick? Like literally tick with like a sound effect. It's like okay, no. And you generally, if you take pride in that in that project, you will say, "Hey, well, hang on a minute here." Like no, that's gonna sound stupid. And here's like why. And like you'd be more professional than calling it stupid. But the point is, you're gonna say, "Hey, man, like this is not like this is. It's gonna be annoying. No one's gonna want this ticking. Like what's the value of the ticking, right? You're gonna bring up some more professional things like that, right? But when when scope creep you know, starts to make a, like a project effectively spiral out of control, you'll start looking at the project like a chore, right? You'll start looking at it through those panic lenses, like I mentioned before, and often do things as quickly as possible or, or like, even with the mentality of quote unquote, well, the client asked for it that way, it's not going to work, but well, whatever, like I need to get this done. All I'm doing right now is just trying to churn out work. I'm not going to bring up UX problems. I'm not going to bring up problems. We're just going to do it. I don't care. And Mike and I have hit that several times on projects. We actually have a project right now that's similar to this, where I literally just don't care now. And I realize it's a problem, but like sometimes this happens and you should try to stop it before it happens. Now, sometimes it's out of your control and you just have to do bad UX and you have to do bad weird things like that and, and, and whatever. Like if, if you have to do, you have to do it. But it is a bad mentality to have, because if the, if the thing that you're doing is becoming a chore, then it like then you will not make it look nice. You will have rough edges because you'll just be like, ah, good enough. Like you know, get it moving, get it moving. We'll fix it later, fix it later. You never do, right? And when you start doing stuff like this, over time the project will just become a cobbled like together mess of things that the client asked for that you didn't bother ensuring a good UX for, and then like that actually can cause more scope creep later because you might be having to go back to like 10 of the items you did and fix them. So now instead of 10 items, now you're doing 20, the 10 items plus the 10 fixes. Right. And so like, it's kind of like a snowball effect and it's sort of like a bad way to see a project. And the reason why I brought up the fact that Mike and I are kind of hitting this on one of our projects right now is because I think it's important to share that like, even though we are like trying to sharing this mentality and doing and and trying to like you know tell you guys to avoid scope creep, especially here and and you know I'm going to give you some tips and stuff like that later. And there's more information later. I should say, like realistically, like no, like you are not immune to it, right? We are not immune to it. No one is immune to it. And projects will spiral out of control. And you c- always can't be the person that's controlling it. You can be the person resisting it. And even if you resist it, and it still spirals chances are you're resisting all of the scope creep probably made it spiral less. And that's the point. Like, it's just, it's just a part of the project. So it, it, it kind of comes back to the idea of not being caught up on keywords like productivity and scope creep and like whatever else, because like, this is the real world. Like the world doesn't run on like weird, like productivity keywords. Like, Hey guys, let's be 10% productive today. Okay, everybody, let's you know, like ridiculous, like stupid, like that, you know what I mean? So that, that's what I'm getting at now. From a technical standpoint, okay, you know, and as we've already touched on, Scope Creep can really wreak havoc on a project's stability, fixability. I don't even know if fixability is a word. I hope it is. Uh, How easy it is to update or even how easy it is to pass it on to another team if you guys are leaving or if your client's leaving you type of thing. Working with tight deadlines means that you know, doing things like documenting your changes and methodologies will be the, will be the first thing cut from your to-dos generally. The project needs to run now. It needs to be done now. It doesn't need to be documented, right? If it's going to run and it's going to work, it doesn't need to be documented right now. We, we don't have time. You're going to spend half a day doing, doing, you know, feature number two after we're done feature one, or are you going to spend half a day documenting feature one? You're going to go right into feature two. Everyone's panicking. Everyone's freaking out. That's what you're going to do, right? Like generally, <coughs> excuse me. Now, The lack of documentation, right, can really affect how fixable a piece of software is, especially if something doesn't go, you know, doesn't go wrong for a long period of time. That's really critical, right? So you'll never, you'll never remember that you hacked together some weird database entry and in some random script, right? You'll never remember that, okay? And that actually recently happened to me literally right before the show. I documented what I did, looked at it and was like, damn, that's probably what what needs to be implemented. And I'm just going to do that after the show. Or like tomorrow, whatever. But the point is, that was documented. That's the point, right? That's the point. So, these hacks, okay, also lead to an overall stability of the software being called into question. No doubt, right? Not only that, but a tight deadline was probably accompanied by little testing. So now you're using production code, stuff that's live, that was hardly tested, and was thrown together, so that it could be coded up quickly. No one no one looked at how great the technical prowess of this API was. Everyone looked at, "Oh, you can just call it from a CDN and I don't need to like bother with like caching it in my own database. Okay, use it." Right? And so now things are cobbled together based on the speed and all that, but not the technical prowess. And that's not good, right? Passing on okay, like a hack together mess as well might be might sound awesome for your team. Like like no doubt. If you cobbled something together because the project was falling apart, you get it all together and then the client decides to leave you and or like you're you're leaving the project cuz it's it's done now version 1.0 is out you're done you got to pass it on to the IT team or whatever that might sound awesome for you but because you don't have to deal with it anymore right it was cobbled together like good lord but you might you might be hard pressed to actually find someone else to maintain it if it's a big enough mess if 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 you're passing it off to a different department in the same company they might like you could get in trouble for having something like so destroyed right uh they might complain they might come to you consistently for having problems be like man like i told like i i cleared the database or whatever i cleared the cache and it still isn't like the cache didn't clear like a click clear cache what happened and it was because of some weird bug that you never caught right something like that and so you might find it just like maybe hard for you to escape now this is on top of the fact that if a client right decides to go with somebody else so let's say you built them together a website the website was supposed to take six weeks they cut it down to three and there was scope creep and it was a whole freaking thing right and you you had to to just rip it together as quickly as you could then you know you have a maintenance contract with them for whatever reason they're unhappy with you or maybe they're just moving with moving on with somebody else cheaper like who knows that incoming agency okay that's going to take over your work will most likely comment on how thrown together your code is and maybe that person might come back on you and say like hey what the hell's going on here or at the very least you've more than likely lost a positive reference for the future. Like you can't really use a person as a reference at that point. Even though like you wouldn't be informed, really, generally, unless that person comes back to you. But it you're still gonna like I'd feel like an idiot if I handed somebody like just something that was horrible, right? Just absolutely cobbled together and horrible. It'd be like, Like, really, dude? And and Mike and I have encountered this several times where we'll receive like a cobbled together piece of crap and it'll be like, Yeah, you know, it's fine. Like, is it fine? Like why like why is it that when I upload a picture, it doesn't upload a picture? There's like weird things like that. It's like, well, the upload picture is over here. It's like, why the hell is there an upload picture button here? Hide it. There's stuff like that, right? Thrown together, cobbled together. Whether it's their fault or not, we like I'm still not looking favorably upon the person that did it, and they're not going to be my first person to call for help, you know? Um, or like call for help is in like if I have another project, I'm not going to be like, "Man, let's call those let's call those guys that had that broken upload button." Yeah, you're not going to do that, right?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Like that's That's always my fear when I'm writing code. uh, If someone else looks at it and just like, oh, my God, what is this? The problem is, is that I feel like a lot of times projects get out of hand due to a little bit to scope creep or due to the fact that it's just more complex than you think or just timelines. And it's just impossible to write clear code when you don't have enough time. Like if, if you're on a time budget and you're on an actual budget, again, documentation goes out the window. First thing right? And that's a really big important time. part. Yeah, that's a big, really important part to, to writing maintainable code. Second of all, just stringing together stuff that works. That's the stuff that you rely on. And that's what you were talking about before. And I'm not going to lie, I'm just currently trying to get a project done in a deadline. And I'm doing some of that. Now I am trying to comment it a little bit more. As soon as I start commenting, that means my code isn't clear enough. And I should be refactoring anyway. But I do like Again, if I am in that point where I just can't do it, I start commenting (laughs) just so that when I come back to it myself, at least I know what's going on and I know what I have to redo. I do a lot of to do's as well, like refactor this later, Mike, you're an idiot or something. I don't know. Like, it's just, I I do a lot of things like that where I can just go back and and do it when I do have time. But then like, are you going to have time? Because you might be moving on to the next thing that's not going to have enough time. So I feel like that is a big problem with the industry as a whole. Um, and I've learned to be less judgy when looking at different code bases. Based on that, open source code bases seem to be really good because a lot of them don't have a timeline, and a lot of them do value just putting as much time as possible to get your code to look good and and perform well and be readable and maintainable. Like that's the point of open source. Most their so passion that.
1: projects. That's the thing, right? Like you're, exactly you don't want pa- to submit a pull request for something that looks dumb.
2: Yeah, exactly. But as soon as you get into production, you have timelines, and you're not as experienced maybe as like a, you know, a 10 year or maybe a 10 X engineer. I don't want to really use that word, but uh, (laughs) you're not experienced. Like you can't like nail a deadline just by looking at the requirements. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's another aspect of this is like, no matter what, there's going to be some stuff that takes longer. There's going to be some stuff that takes shorter and you're not going to, it's not going to be exact. You can get as close as possible, but it's not going to be exact. So you might have to cut corners here and there. It's just, it's just the reality of the thing. So, yeah, I've been affected by this. I'm continually affected by this and I'm doing my best to kind of get away from it as, poss- as much as possible. But I've noticed lately it's just become even more difficult with the tighter deadlines.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's all a really good point is like, you know, you shouldn't judge, for example, like if you inherit a website to maintain that someone else built and it's a cobbled together mess, like the thing is, is maybe you won't judge them. Like maybe like I'm not saying you should judge them, right? But because it's a mess, like, they're not going to be the person you go to. You know, you're not going to be like, man, these guys built made an image editor. It was a mess. I need an image editor on my next project. I'm going to call these guys. You know, maybe you shouldn't, you know, run to judgment because they may have had an absolutely ridiculous hell of a time. Or they may have been given a budget of $100 or some crazy thing, right? You have no idea what the, the project was like for them. But at the same time, like, they're just not going to be your next call. And... That inadvertently hurts them, right? You're like that's just the way it is. If you heard about some like sketchy like mechanic or something, if you take it out of tech, you're not gonna go to that sketchy guy. Like that's ridiculous. Like no one's gonna do that. Even be like that guy's sketchy. Don't go to him. Be like oh, all right, you know. Even if it's true or not, you're just not like you're not gonna run and yell that to all your friends. But you're also not gonna go to him. You know that's just the way it is, type of thing. And so it's the same type of situation. So that that type of situation sucks is when you're in a situation where you it's out of your control due to budget, time, whatever it is, and you're just you have to cobble it together. Whether it was due to scope creep or just due to the due to a tight deadline, you just have to throw it together and hope, right? And that's what that really sucks. Really really sucks. Now, segment 3 here, preventing scope creep so that there, there's hope. There's hope for all you people out there that are experiencing hope hope creep now. I've said scope creep wrong the first time in each segment. I just realized <laughs> I've literally said it wrong the first time every single every single segment. So that's good. <clears throat> Preventing scope creep. Scope creep can uh, be prevented by setting strict limits and educating your clients and yourself for that matter. So to sort of tackle the strict limits part of things, when gathering requirements and the initial scope, the initial scope before you begin work of a project, you need to be professional but strict, okay? Ensure that a client knows that the list of features that they have on the ticket right now is what is going to be delivered. If they agree to that list of features, that is what's going to be delivered. And that will be delivered upon the deadline that was agreed upon, right? And any change to that list, to that agreement, will incur additional charge and or delay, as the case may be. Use your discretion in that, that regard, however your company handles that, right? You might consider... Some people might consider scope creep adding a button to the nav bar. Some people might be like, who cares? It was two seconds. I don't care, right? So it's up to you how you do your customer service, but you need to be strict with your procedure. Clients will sometimes suddenly come to you, okay, with something that is quote unquote very vital to their project last minute and just absolutely refuse to allow you to put their product live on the deadline that was agreed upon unless that quote unquote vital feature is implemented. Now, it's important to be strict on this sort of occasion as well. You need to set clear guidelines to whether you're willing to do the overtime to meet that deadline with the new feature or features for additional money, for example, or whatever the case is. Or if you outright, outright refuse to deliver the product with the added feature on the original deadline, right? And maybe you come up with an agreement where you push the deadline or something. And during this exchange, you need to be professional, you know, don't be, don't, do not be yelling and swearing and everything else, just be professional, and make several references to your original agreement, where you're like, dude, you asked for one, like, slide, slideshow or something like that, you asked for one slider, like, why do you want, like, ten video sliders all unique, all in different, bra- like, what, like, what are we doing here, right, you asked for one slider, and so make references to that original agreement. Now, when working on your, uh, your own project, right, you're alone or it's just your team working on something for fun or whatever, you need to decide, okay, on a set of features that will be in your MVP and stick to that as much as you can unless something absolutely needs to be in there day one that you missed because you could have made a mistake, right? Stick to your MVP as strictly as possible. Your MVP, especially when you are uh, working for yourself, like you're doing your own project, Your MVP is, you know, not written in stone, but try to pretend it is, right? Try to pretend it is because otherwise you're going to, you're going to start adding those features and then your last lack of expertise is going to show up. But your lack of expertise is exactly why it's not written in stone because you might just be like, oh damn, like I didn't know I had to back this up first and the backup takes 10 hours, something like that, right? You're not going to be like, well, let's just skip the backup, (laughs) see what happens. Like maybe don't do that. Maybe add that to the MVP's like task list, right? But Just be strict with yourself and be like, no, we are not adding a clock here. Like, too bad, type of thing. The next uh, subcategory here is going to be education. So, many, many clients, you know, do not want to be dragged into talking tech with you. And that's fine. But it doesn't mean, it does not mean that you can't involve them in what you're experiencing. Within reason, of course, don't be whining to them. But, If you, for example, spent over a month building out their user management system, let's say, for example, and then suddenly they want a major change to it, you can absolutely say to them that the original management system took over a month. So based on this new, based on this new feature that they're requesting, based on this new change that they're requesting, it'll take, say, 15 days, right? Or whatever the case may be. You can bring them into your world a little bit without you getting into like, I used an API for this, but you can say, hey, like this took 30 days. You're asking for a big change. It's going to take half the amount of time, 15, 14 days, whatever it is. It's going to take a long time. Like, that's just the way it is, right? Now, over time, you will educate your client if they listen to you in, in these sort of exchanges. You will educate your clients. And they may even approach you asking, A, how big of a deal a certain feature, like, ad would be. They might be like, hey, man, like, I was thinking about we change the change the resolution of all the thumbnails. Like, is that a big thing? Like, what do you think? And they may even ask if you have time for it. Like, hey, like, do, we, do you think we have time to squeeze this in or should we push this to the next update, right? If you educate your clients, especially if they're not technical and they're receptive, they have to be receptive, then they, may, they might do this. And that, that's gonna be a way better client relationship for you, right? Now, we all know some clients will want no part in this type of conversation and will only want you to do what they ask and when they ask. Now, to be honest, if, if they're being unrealistic, right, consistently, if they're just being unrealistic all the time and their demands are just like, hey, man, like, I need a an Uber Eats clone tomorrow night, 250 bucks, something ridiculous, I would just say drop them because you're, you're going to, like, go mad. Like, maybe you need them for the money for a bit, but, like, try to find a way out of there, like, securely, financially, or how, whatever your situation is. Now, to be clear, to be totally clear, some clients don't want to talk to you about this type of stuff at all, right? They don't want to talk about this stuff. But they'll be reasonable. They'll give you huge bursts of time, huge amounts of time, fair timelines, realistic timelines, but they just don't want to talk to you. They're super busy. Maybe they're not talkative and they're just like, "Hey man, build this forum, I'll give you 6 months later, bud." And then that's it, right? And if if that's the case and they're giving you realistic timelines, then that's fine too. They don't need to be that receptive person. Some people just are, are less sociable, but those realistic timelines are critical in both both types of situation, right? And when it comes to yourself, right, when you're talking, when you're not working for a client, when you're working for yourself on your project or your team's project, you if you know you need to make a user management system in your own project, as an example, you should educate yourself on how they work and what technologies exist out there that you can use for it. The more informed you are, right, considering we're talking about education, the more informed you are, the more educated you are, the better you'll be able to estimate how long something will take. And that will help you mitigate the scope creep because you might be like, damn, like, if we do this wrong, it's going to break everything. Now that backup step has to be put in there. We get this working, let's do a backup. Backup takes 10 hours for whatever reason, maybe it's a massive database. Backup takes 10 hours we got to do it because if it breaks, that's a hundred hours. Let's not do like, you know, let's not screw around. Let's do, make sure we do the backups. And now you're informed. You didn't make the mistake. And there might've been that little bit of scope creep where you have to wait that 10 hours, but there wasn't the scope creep of a hundred hours of data loss. That's the point. And so that's where the education kind of comes in or does come in, I should say.
2: So, um, one thing that I kind of take away from all this and to take away, like, uh, A main point or something that we've kind of reiterated many times throughout our podcast is the fact that when you're working with a client, it's not him hiring you and him being all all powerful over you and you have to listen to them. It's a symbiotic relationship in in the sense that like both you, you're working together for a common goal. Now, yes, they're paying you. Yes, they have their timelines. Yes, all that. But if you come at them with respect, if they come at you with respect, you're going to get a better product. Like Matt was saying, the goal of this whole thing, when you like the goal of creating a website, the goal of working with the client is to create a good product. And if you sell it to them in that way, it should be easier to move forward with the scope creep, right? If you tell them everything upfront, if you be very clear in your communications, like the, fir- the first point in this was, uh, you know, when be very strict and be very clear. That's important because if they don't understand it or if they're feigning understanding or whatever, then they're not going to understand that they can't squeeze in the feature. But if you tell them outright, be like, listen, okay, so now that we've discussed all the requirements, now that we've discussed all the, what the features are, you, you've approved the, the, you know, the wireframes and the designs, everything's been approved. We're going to go forward and build it. This is the timeline that we have. If anything else comes up outside of these requirements, outside of what we have here, it's going to either cost more and put that, you can put that in writing. uh, If you don't like, you know, that that's probably the better way to do it. It's going to cost more and it's going to take more time. So that's something that you understand. And I'm not trying to say this to threaten you. I'm not trying to say this to, you know, scare you or make you feel uncomfortable. This is just the reality of it. I want to make sure that we're both educated on this. So we both move forward together. Something like that is the way to approach this kind of situation because, Again, you're trying to create something together. And let's say in that scenario, the client fires back at you immediately, like angrily saying, that's bullshit. And, uh, you know, I want to be able to add features as I, as I see fit because I'm paying you and you're, you're my employee and I don't care. Well, unless this is your first client, and even then, if it's your first client, I would be very hesitant. I would say that relationship wouldn't work for me. I would say, okay, that's fine. Like perfectly fine. Normal. Like we're still in the quote stage let's let's just agree that we we won't fit for this project this is not how we do business uh nothing against you like it's all good like if you i'm sure there's w- plenty of web developers that would love to work with that kind of system but we're not ones be very respectful like don't don't t- tell them off saying that you're bullshit and your system is terrible <laughs> um like you're that's horrible. a bad way get to out handle of here. it yeah get out of here exactly but no be respectful but be respectful respectful firm and decline their you know, their way of doing it. And sometimes maybe they'll come back to you and still be like, okay, well, I'm I'm agreeing with this relationship and it'll be up to you if you trust them or not. And most of the time, at least with us, uh, it's them understanding and being very thankful that you're upfront with them about it, about this. Because again, they understand that you you don't want to just, you know, complete this and move on. You want them to have something good. You want them to be able to be proud of something that you built together, not just you, you know, checking off a task on your to-do list.
1: Yeah, honestly, uh, like there's a, effectively there's, there's a professional way to handle almost any situation, at least any situation that I could think of at the moment. And that's, that's exactly what you do. Like saying something like, you know, you're horrible for this project or we're not going to work out for this project might sound a bit like standoffish, but being like, Hey, like, you know, this isn't going to work out or, you know, we're just not going to be able to come together on this project or, or however Mike worded it is just a way to handle those sticky situations. Because remember, if you don't handle these sticky situations now, Imagine being, like, a thousand hours into a project and then being like, by the way, like, I'd really love to sell airline tickets on this thing. And it's like, holy crap. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what do well, you I'm mean? Well, I'm a gas
2: station. Like, we're, we're making a gas station website. How, it's clear that I always wanted to sell airline tickets. I don't know what you're talking about, Matt.
1: And that's the type of thing that you would get. It's yeah. like, well, in my, like, in my, like, region or whatever, there's a an airport nearby. And obviously I would want to sell airline tickets or obviously I'd want to sell like airport parking tickets or whatever. Why, you know, why can't I do that? Like, it's just, just be like <laughs> assumed. It's like, what are you talking about? Like we were talking about a clock like yesterday and we were talking about freaking <laughs> selling airline tickets. Like what, like what's going on here? And like, but that like that legitimately like stuff like that happens. Like there's been times where I'll be like, I don't know. Like you're going to have to talk to like whatever legal body that deals with that. And they're like, don't you know that? Sorry, when I wake up every morning, I don't do a 20-point inspection on all the agencies and, like, ministries that are in, you know, the U.S. and Canada and make sure I understand, all, like, every bit of their regulation <laughs> before continuing to work on a NAV bar. <laughs> like, it's, it's true. It's <laughs> true. It's true. Like, it's, yeah. I don't know. Like, we've had, we have, I always encourage people to bounce ideas off of us. Absolutely. But generally, I only give professional advice. Like, in terms of, like. Technical professional advice generally because it's like, dude, I don't know about anything about e bikes. And they'll be like, well, the voltage is clearly 12 volts. Sure, man. Like, okay. If you told me 100,000 volts, I'd be raising an eyebrow. But if you told me 30 volts, 12 volts, 10 volts, 5 volts, 100 volts, I'd be like, all right. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't do an inspection on e bikes. I'm just making that up now, but you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Some of the
2: stuff we've been asked.
1: Mike and I have been straight up asked for legal advice, financial advice, how to set up a business properly, uh, how to handle bank accounts of a certain type. I had to think about that, how to word that one. So it wasn't obvious, but like
2: healthcare advice. I've done, I've had healthcare advice. I haven't
1: had that. I would have just, whenever someone (laughs) says healthcare, please consult your local healthcare professional. (laughs) <laughs> like, I pretty much have that in my brain because I don't want to tell someone like, yeah, go use this product. and it's like, my arm fell off. What the hell is going on here? Like, no, like, please consult the local health care professional. Thank you.
2: Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird industry we're in. I feel like all industries have that. People just get a little bit buddy buddy with you and just bounce everything off you because you, you own a company or you have a company or something and they think that you're just a jack of every single trade possible. Like I, I, I like to think of myself as a jack of all trades, but I'm definitely not, right? Like in, in the, in the actual sense of the word, I, I don't know everything. I don't know anything about cars. Or someone were to be like, well, you're building me a car website. Can you fix my car? Like, <laughs> No, I can't fix your car. Like there's just no way, even though that maybe in their head, since I'm building the car website, maybe I should have done thousand hours of car research and figured out how to, you know, take apart an engine, and rebuild an engine. I I don't know what, what comes into their minds when that happens, but they associate it and they ask you ridiculous things, but it's fine. We're okay with that. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of entertaining. I almost like want it to happen because you know, like there's, there's no harm done. I just say, I don't know i'm honest with them
1: that's exactly it is like encouraging the the exchange of ideas because they might like you might come up with a technical idea that would work for their idea but you would have to be like yo man you got to confirm how many parts are in that car like i don't know but we could put together an inventory management system for you that type of thing
2: exactly um but with that i think i'm going to move on to the web news uh so this week web news is minimalist programming setups so i've noticed Myself relying more and more on my complex programming setup. I have three screens. I use a bunch of extensions for VS Code. My computer is like pretty beefy. It's a gaming computer. Uh, it has like eight cores and a bunch of RAM and video card. It has like everything you could possibly want for a gaming computer And whenever I want to go somewhere, like before I would go to a coffee shop and work or before I would do like work, you know, outside or something, I found myself dreading it a little bit because I have to go back to like a laptop with a small screen and balancing everything on that. And now with stuff like Samsung Dex, which is Samsung phone's ability to be like a desktop operating system. So having essentially a computer in your pocket that you could plug into any monitor or even wirelessly sometimes can connect to it stuff like that really intrigues me. Also like really small, thin computers. I've always liked, you know, thin client, thin client computing or thin computers in general, stuff like, like it's extremely portable. I don't even know why I just, I find it fascinating that you can pack a lot of performance into something so thin uh, and light. And that's becoming extremely popular. Like I'm, you know, there's, Not to get into too much tech, but there's this uh, like AMD, which is a processor company has come out with a new kind of processor into notebooks and they're super powerful even and they don't eat up a lot of battery, So you can have ridiculously long battery life and and all the power you could want. But every time I look at that, I get anxious because I'm like, I can't program on a 14 inch screen. And I just, I start, I don't start to panic, but I'm just like, I don't know why I want, I, I don't know why I want it when I can't even use it. Like I barely use my laptop right now. The only time I used to use my laptop a lot was when I obviously when I was traveling. But even then, I I wasn't able to get like a full, the full productivity going. Because again, I rely so much on my three monitors. I Like this week has been extreme or not this week, like the past like six months, probably I've been using them ex- it intensely. Like I have, they're constantly completely full of work stuff. So on one monitor, my main monitor would be my IDE with like two uh two files open, at least sometimes three, even like, sometimes I'll fill up my entire monitor with like different files. And then I have my left monitor, which has, which is vertically oriented. So sometimes I'll put like a Excel spreadsheet there. And then I'll put like a, a, another Chrome window for testing. So like a Chrome, a Chrome instance, so I can test my app. And then on my right monitor, I'll have like my dev tools or some documentation or something. I'm using them to full capacity and when i go down to one monitor i start panicking and so the question i have really and i don't know if you're going to be able to answer this or have any input on it matt but do you like should we be more minimalistic like should i go back and try to use a monitor like one monitor and see if i can get the same productivity or more productivity out of it and just so i can be more flexible and be able to use like, you know, any device out there, like even Samsung Dex to be able to program? Or am I just being kind of crazy and irrational about this whole thing?
1: No, I think, I think you're correct because there's going to be a, a situation, a day, where like your computer is not going to boot up. You know, PowerSpy dies or maybe the power itself is, is out at a particular time. And you're going to be forced to use something else. Now, Dex Dex is like a very edge case, I'd, th- I'd say. Like, that's a very... Even I don't really do that. Although I do do system admin stuff on there. Um, not necessarily on Dex, but on my phone. I will use cPanel. I will help people out that way on my phone. Uh, I have, like, fixed WordPress stuff on my phone before. Stuff like that. Um, but I will say that I I do think you should get used to using at least single screen. And how I do that is sometimes if I just, like, really don't feel like working that day, but I have, like, some stuff to do, obviously, I'll just sit on the couch and just use a laptop. And that's just how I get around it. And so I'll just turn something on on the TV, but I'll, like, do my full work day, like, but I'll just, I'll feel like I'm not working or relaxing. Like, I'm, I'm not working, I'm relaxing, but I'm really kind of doing both. Uh, and I will do that. Um, absolutely. I will utilize... Single screen, I'll utilize, like, a tablet. I'll utilize my phone, as I already mentioned. I'm kind of like a walk-in commercial. I've mentioned that before, where I, like, start on my phone and go to my tablet and, like, whatever the, the day calls for. But I will, I will say having the ability, and, like, I don't know what, maybe this is unhealthy for work-life balance, but having the ability to sort of fix stuff and get in there, on most things or knowing what the limitation of your device is and knowing the limit and knowing how to get there quickly. So for example, just like the layout even of CPanel on your phone is going to be different. And so if you're trying to get in there urgently to solve an issue while you're out and about somewhere, because you're on your phone, uh, you will be kind of panicked a bit like, or at least there'll be like a sense of urgency there. And knowing where that stuff is, is crucial and so there'll be some times where I'll be like, oh, I have to do that like backup or I have to like make sure that backup completed or I have to like, oh, like, oh, is this a WordPress site? I can't remember. And I'll go and I'll boot up cPanel, boot in the, the file manager and oh, yeah, this is a WordPress site or whatever. And that just keeps helps keep it fresh in my in my head. Um, the 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 tablet I'm referring to is a, is a Windows 10 tablet. So it's it's effectively a PC. So like my laptop or my tablet, it, it really helps me get used to single screen. But I also would like to say that it's useful to know what is beneficial about your multi-screen setup. Like, editing audio for me is big. Editing video is big for me on the like the like my bigger setup. Having stuff like that. Like, knowing what your limitations are. But should this computer just shut off, can't use it, and I need to get this podcast out. I know, like, the audio is only local right now, so I'd be screwed. But if it wasn't, if it was clouded somewhere, I would be able to just dump it on my laptop and it would take longer but i would be able to do it because I'm, i could even just do it on a touchpad like it doesn't bother me and, and oftentimes on those work days i will just use a touchpad and i am getting yeah. used to like using the touch gestures and using that type of thing but the edge cases like decks short of you like wanting to do that i wouldn't worry about it just because it's not really mainstream yet and if you like really were in trouble like every one of your computers went down la- desktop laptop whatever And you were limited to DeX. Like I don't even know exactly how much you could get done. Realistically. Right. But I I guess what I'm trying to say is. Use a full. Use a full OS I guess. Even though like Samsung DeX is. But like use a full OS. On single screen at least. Meaning like Windows 10. Because you can install all your stuff on there. Even if it's less productive. I think you have to acknowledge that it's going to be less productive. It is going to be less productive, but it's not less productive by, like, a mile like we think. It is, like, the first time because you're like, Christ, this, like, this touchpad or whatever, but then after you get used to it, it's like, boop, 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 and it's, it's second nature, and it just becomes yeah. normal.
2: I think that's the key. I think I have to acknowledge it's going to be a little less productive, but just having that change of scenery or having that... Uh you know, just getting up from my desk and just moving around and going into a different place to work is sometimes required. Like I used to do it pretty consistently. And I I, I always acknowledge the fact that it was going to be less productive, but I got around it. Uh, it's just like lately, I guess with this whole, you know, COVID situation pandemic, I haven't been able to go to coffee shops or anything like that. And I haven't wanted to, obviously, I don't want to deal with that. Um, So I just kind of stop doing it, even though I have kind of opportunity. I have a nice balcony where I've always wanted to kind of sit down and have a good productive working session. I just like I can kind of see my computer from my balcony and I'm like, why am I doing this? I I don't know. I have that I had that block, but I think you're right. I just need to just do it sometimes and just you know get used to it a little bit, get 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 back into the the swing of things and just acknowledge the fact that it will be less productive. The other thing I used to do is I used to separate my tasks so like if I had to do any sort of writing, I would do it on my laptop so I could move around and like I, I write better when I'm not sitting at my desk for whatever reason. I don't know what it is, but like I write better when I'm at a coffee shop or when I'm at my kitchen table or when I'm at the, on the balcony. It's just it's just how I've always been. Um, so that's what I used to do. But like e- even more and more on that, like last time I wrote a couple times on my computer because again, I could utilize the multiple screens and have like my reference and write at the same time. So it's just... I don't know. I think I'm complaining over nothing, but I also love the fact that everything I could do everything on any device essentially. And like to go back to the dex point point, I think I could set up an environment. It would be
1: I don't know, about more cumbersome. Your, your view js though. Like like compiling. I think I could compiling.
2: So, okay. Uh there is this thing called remote docker containers. So I could have oh, a VPS. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can have a VPS that is running VS Code and all of my, uh, like, a Linux VPS and all of my actual, like, repos. And I can just, you know, din- like connect to it from Dex If I'm being honest, a, I'm a, a big a advocate for stuff
1: like that. I, I know, me too. I like that stuff. I, 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 I just yeah, like me too. it. Not that I'm, like, yeah, a I supporter. Think, I just like it.
2: <laughs> yeah, remote containers. And, and uh, VS Code actually has, a, like, a, an extension, like, a first-party extension that they built themselves that directly connects to a remote container and even creates it for you. So like, I'm, I'm very tempted to spend some time and set that up. And I think it would make a really good podcast episode, actually, if we were to talk about it, it might be a good thing to even throw on the Twitch, like go through the process of setting the whole thing up. I know one of our, uh, one of the people in our discord and one of, one of the people that kind of come in and talk to me on Twitch nerdism, he, um, he set it up fully and his like his whole development environment is in the cloud so he bought a VPS mm-hmm. and he, his computer <clears throat> just essentially connects to that VPS and all the development goes on on there so he can connect to it from anywhere so i would lo- i kind of really want to set that up because the other thing that i kind of would promote to like the other awesome benefit of that is that you don't have to have stuff like node.js installed on your computer. You don't have to have like all these packages, these NPM packages for every single one of your applications, like that are just sitting there and just eating up space and files and, you know, index in being constantly indexed by your SSD. Like that's, what's kind of pushing me towards it. And the fact that I can just go on my laptop and have the exact same development environment as I do on my computer other than the fact that it'll have it won't have the multiple screens um, but even then I have hooked up my iPad to it because I have a MacBook uh, to have like that second screen functionality I mean it's a small second screen and really only use I can only really use it for like reference material but at least it's something so I, I have been able to elevate that aspect of a, a little bit but again it's tough. It's still it's still difficult for me to go from my like work 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 machine to uh, to a laptop. But I'll, I'm gonna try it.
1: I will say I will say that like having a remote. So there, there there's there's two there's two ways to look at it. So I think we've mentioned this before in the last web news, but like things are starting to get to the point where we're streaming everything, mu- like music, movies, games, everything. And when the internet goes out, you're screwed, right? You just you just effectively lost everything now some stuff you can download you maybe your music maybe some of the movies on netflix those type of things like you can absolutely download those and have those cached up um consoles uh, or powerful computers can run your games if you have the local versions of those you know that there's ways to do it um i'm just worried of the day when people start like okay so people consistently complain about the internet like, in their own homes, like, the internet's slow, the internet's dying, what the hell's going on, the internet keeps going out, people just have internet go down for days and then comes back, like, and people who are not avid internet users are just like, oh, the internet's down, like, will just check in, like, a couple of days, like, they don't care, um, and I'm just a little bit worried of us becoming super reliant on just the internet, and then that one line goes out, and it's like, well, damn, now, I will say we're already reliant that way on electricity, but I just think maybe it's, the internet's not quite there yet, you know, um, that's sort of my concern, I think. And so imagine you wake up, you have a lot of work to do, and just your internet's down, but everything else is fine.
0: Yeah. And there's a higher screwed.
1: chance of your internet being down than your electricity being down for a prolonged period. Personally, yeah, I, would I would say. Yeah, I would say that's true. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, and and I, I would say, say that's, that's generally true. true for everybody that I have personally talked to. Yeah.
2: It's still very low. Like I, I haven't had my internet down for any extended period of time for a long time. But I have heard, like, I think my grandparents recently had a, a moment where they had, like, four hours of internet down, which would suck. Like, I, I'm i just trying to think, like, I could still do some work with internet down right now. I'm just trying to think, even in my situation right now where I don't have remote containers. But theoretically, couldn't push anything to Git, right? Couldn't pull anything from Git. Couldn't do any pull requests. Couldn't... Um, couldn't check any documentation which is a big one couldn't look anything up so I'd be I'd be pretty hindered without the internet regardless of the fact that if I have remote containers
1: or not I guess I guess that's very true like we work on the internet so it's a little bit different yeah and I hear the argument too where it's like well like I always hear like well Matt like are you that desperate for whatever it is like work play whatever. Are you that desperate to have that, that like, entertainment means or that work means for that, like, hour that it went down? Yeah. But I always say to myself, like, why would I even, like, why would I make myself susceptible to that if I can avoid it to an extent? You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that, like, like w- that we have Netflix, right, that we can just stream. But at the same time, if I'm going someplace where I don't know how the internet is, I'm going to go on to Netflix and download a few movies that I'm going to watch. Right? And then, like, have those on my phone because even, like, I'm not going to die of, like, literally I'm not going to literally die of boredom. But, like, why would I just, like, make myself susceptible to that? Like, it's that's, people are like, oh, you're, you're too, too like, eager to, like, use Netflix and stuff. But it's like, well, I don't see you getting off Netflix and your internet's not down. So, you know, nice talking to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean?
0: Like,
2: yeah, exactly. I think for entertainment and gaming purposes, totally. Um having an offline option is important because it just happens. Like like the website could go down, you know, Netflix could go down. I mean, it hasn't happened in a long time, but like for sure a gaming site could go down, like a gaming streaming service could go down. They're still new Oh yeah, and stuff like that. So just re- having only that and relying on that, like I know there's some people I, I've been kind of monitoring the uh, Stadia subreddit and there's some people that are like, I've become a gaming minimalist and I only have Stadia and that's it. Like I've sold all my consoles, like I don't have any – Steam games, nothing. Just just Stadia, because they want to be a minimalist. And like I, I don't think I could do that. I don't think that I would ever recommend that. Right? Um, for work, it's a little bit different. I think because I don't honestly. If the internet went down for me, if it's an emergency, what I would do is I would tether my like my phone mm. and use the phone internet. But if it's not an emergency, which ninety nine percent sure won't be an emergency, I would just not work. I'd just do something else. Yeah. I don't think because like our, our work relies so much on the internet. Like we're literally building internet technologies. Like we're building web technologies. So doing something offline, just I've tried it on the plane many times. I've built little things, but as soon as you get into any sort of like, uh, you know, any sort of issue and you need to Google something, screwed. all right, that's it. There's no point like you just, you, and you will always get into that sort of state like where you need to Google something or something like you can get some stuff done, but it's just not worth it. Like, it's just, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think treating it as, you know, Internet off means work off is fine.
1: Yeah. And, and like me being again, I always bring this up, but it's like me being from the IT field, like I'm always a fan of having a redundant thing. So, like, me having the VPS is, like, a redundancy. So, if the computer's down, I can always, like, use Dex and, like, RDP to these things. But if the internet's down, then I can always use my local machine. Like, so that's sort of where that is, you know, where that is uh, in my brain as well. And that's sort of why I'm, why I said it wasn't, like, necessarily a supporter of it. Like, clearly I have tons of local computing things, right? Consoles and computers. But I am a fan of having something in the cloud where it's, yep. like, there's a reason why, I, like, like you know, I back up my photos to various photo edit, photo backing up services and stuff because having it on the cloud is super useful, even between two local machines. Like, can just pull it up and not have to worry about friggin using a USB cable and backing stuff up manually and all the rest of it. So there's definitely conveniences there, but...
2: So with the VPS, just to, just to finish uh, that topic, but what you could do... Um, is it just creates a Docker container. You could have that Docker container syncing directly to your local machine at all times. And if the internet were to go down, you just connect to the local Docker container.
1: See, that's interesting. Like so I would, if you, if you, you know, I'd be There is a then.
2: way to have a redundancy there.
1: That, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Like,
2: yeah. So- it's something that I definitely want to look into. I th- I think it would be beneficial. Um,
1: I was gonna say that's like sort of like Git, but no, it isn't.
2: Not fully. Not fully no, because Git not. doesn't sync no.
1: all the time. I mean, maybe there's a way Git to the, do it, but like God knows. Git,
2: it's not about Git not syncing all the time. It's about your development environment, right? Like it's the npm, mm. it's the npm packages. It's all your it's all your uh, dependencies. It's your uh, path variables, all that stuff. That's that's the stuff that you don't have to worry about with this method. You don't like it doesn't matter what system you're on it doesn't matter if you're on a mac or Windows because the path is going to be just controlled by whatever docker c- container you decide to use whether it be Ubuntu or whatever and it'll be the same across all computers
1: I think I want something- like <laughs> just out of pure curiosity I kind of want to play with docker more like I have I have a bit um, and like I, I understand most of the jargon to be fair I just don't like I haven't I need to use it. <laughs> like, I yeah. just haven't used it's it that more, much.
2: It's more complex than you'd think, but if you get it, like first of all, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities for work if you understand Docker really well. Right, right, right. Like de- DevOps stuff. Like I feel like that's a big that's a big field that's up and coming because it's very like if you if you combine Docker with Kubernetes. And I don't want to get too far into this because so off topic. It becomes extremely useful for scaling applications on a a large scale. Like if you have like videos, like service services, or if you just have an application that has millions of users, you're going to need to do stuff like that because you need to be able to, you know, spread it out across your cloud fair or across Cloudflare or across like the whole country or across the whole world. Load balancing, exactly. So that's what it helps with. So I don't know. It'd be worth, it's definitely worth looking into. Uh, I know for the VPS thing, you don't really need to know much. Like I looked at a tutorial. Like you don't need to know any Docker commands. It's literally
1: a remote computer. It's literally like as if you hooked up that. your computer and went to the like hooked it up, made it accessible, and went to the coffee shop and just connected to it. That's what effectively yeah. what a BPS is, except it's in a data center more than likely.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So it should it should be pretty simple. Um. But yeah, I'll I'll look into it and report back. I think that's that's where I'll end it.
1: Yeah. Uh. I think that really I think that covers both these topics really well. Unless you have anything else to add, Mike. I think we could run the old conclusion runner up alrighty well remember we're on that Patreon that's patreon.com slash html the things check out the tiers and give that a go And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript find him at youtube.com slash rabbitworks JavaScript Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design find him at localpathcomputing.com Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital find him at blueblackdigital.com Chris from Self Made Web Designer find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com Tim from The Web Hacker find him at thewebhacker.com DL Ford from dlford.io and bibhashdash from Twitter via at bibhashdash. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform you're listening to this on, and I'm going to let this outro
0: sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast Signing off.